1: Welcome to Breaking Banks and a recovering Jason Henricks from South by Southwest. Our crew of members of Alloy Labs Alliance partners and uh, the Breaking Banks crew are making their way back from South by Southwest, better known by the acronym SXSW or South by, overwhelmed, used up and euphoric. South by cut its teeth as a music festival 20 years ago edit a few days of film festival eventually, and then digital. I started going to South by in 2009 when we launched Perk Street, joined the Accelerator Advisory Board in 2010 when fintech was nascent and they needed some guidance. And then it exploded and I started hosting a reception called fintech luminaires when the space was so big you couldn't find the real players. Whether the crypto boom and bust, bro in the gender inclusive sense, and where we are now. So what is it about South Buy? And why am I so passionate about South by that we actually still host our ninth uh, episode of Fintech Luminaires, now have a fintech house, continue to espouse why banks and fintechs and investors and influencers should go. So where are we now? 2019. I wrote a post about why banks should attend South by Southwest. And I got responses like, hey, is it a fintech conference? And the answer is unequivocally no. And that's the reason you should attend. It's not a fintech conference. Fintech conferences are great. You should absolutely be going to Finovate. You should absolutely go to Money2020. You should go to SP Global. But those are places you go to find bank techs. Things that are selling to you in an enterprise level. Why do you go to South by Southwest? This is the future of experience. Now, I still remember some of my very first experiences there. I remember my first interaction with artificial intelligence and playing tic-tac-toe against a machine that learned my behaviors after 10 games and then proceeded to trounce me for 10 games. Right, And so these are things that are sponsored events where you see the big brands and the startups talking about what the future could look like. Now, as banks and fintechs, we tend to get very myopic around what we deliver and how we deliver it. And that's not true about how our customers, whether they're small businesses or consumers, think about how they consume products to quote Clayton Christensen in the pains gains jobs to be done. No one has a job that says go to a bank, go to a fintech, go to a neobank, go to an alt lender. They're trying to accomplish some other goal. And I think one of the biggest powers of South by Southwest is it's about what that bigger goal is that people are looking for. So fast forward to this year. So if I think about When I joined the advisory board, fintech was not really a thing. It became a hot thing and everyone was a fintech or wanted to be a fintech. Then that was overtaken by the cryptos, like I mentioned. And this year it was overtaken by the NFTs. Dominated the agenda around NFT, NFT. And I think that's not surprising because South by has such a creative bent with the film and the music that, you know, NFTs are very interesting. I was a little surprised that most of the panels were very shallow in in, in terms of what they delivered. And I wonder if that isn't because the industry as a whole, there are so many misconceptions that people are still just getting educated. And I think back to the days when, crypto and bitcoin were becoming the thing when your uber driver would be like, "Hey, do you trade, you know, bitcoin?" You're like, "What? You're my uber driver. What are we talking about?" And I think south by it doesn't suffer by, but I think it is something that you need to be cognizant of. If you think of the hype curve, right? Where it's like you see the early adoption, the high hype, the pit of despair, And then you see when the real things begin to come out of it. I think if we look back, I still remember the first time I saw a voice first at South by, and that was like eh, 10ish years ago. And I was like, hey, that may actually be a thing. I'm seeing use cases from brands that I would actually use. By the way, as a skeptic, I am now the guy who checks my bank balance on Alexa, because my hands are in dishes or changing diapers or chasing kids, I pay mortgage from that. Like a lot gets done by voice that ten years ago I would have said no way no how, and then I experienced AI, right? In more than you know, playing games, seeing the power of how could this play out? That led to blockchain. That was the next hype curve that came out of South by, and. I would say blockchain was not forefront this year, but it was actually substantial that you can see the use cases now that are coming out. The players that are there and talking about blockchain are no longer the ones out on the hype curve, that's now NFT. Um, They're the ones that are talking about real things that they're doing. And that brings me to where will we be with crypto? In NFT, I think crypto. Unfortunately, the hype curve did a major setback because the just huge amount of attention that went into crypto, especially at places like South by, and you know places like um, comedy, late night, led to an overabundance, over overexuberance of investment. Air quotes around investment that. really kept the mainstream applications from being developed. I worry that we're in the same place with NFTs, right? I think we're going to hit the same valley of despair. I think if we look forward to next year and the year year beyond, NFTs are not going to have the same hype that we saw at this year, South by Southwest. But I do think if you look forward, by 2026, I think NFTs are going to be super significant. So why attend? Well, you can touch the future. The future from the Porsche experience, by the way, it has embedded FinTech to nascent startups that may actually change the world. And the other reason to go is you're gonna have interactions with people that you don't meet at other conferences and they tend to be deeper conversations and the content is unmatched. South by is a world unto itself And just keep in mind, it is a world that is out at the edge of what you're gonna experience. And if you're a bank, especially, you're gonna say, oh my gosh, like that isn't real. I can't go do that. Well, you need to pay attention. The classic Wayne Gretzky, don't skate to the puck, skate to where the puck is going to be. Look to where the future is going to be. It's not updating your mobile app. It's thinking about where you can embed. And when I look at the interactions we had at our fintech house, it was really interesting to see the banks, the compliance players, which were both legal and from Sherman and Williams, and the compliance side from Crow, and the startups and incumbents, you know, all talking about the same thing about where we need to go and how do we get there. And that's why you go to South by and by the way, I do not get paid by South by I'm just a huge fan of South by Southwest in things outside of the industry that you exist in, right? Go to Finnovate, go to Money 2020, go to SP Global's Community Bankers Conference, but also go find those conferences that expand your horizons and rethink what finance can be, because the future of finance is on the edge. It is the edge of money because for our customers, the transaction is not the center of their life. The transaction is something they're trying to accomplish. And I said this, and I know I repeat it too often. When I was talking at the FDIC conference in 2017, 2019, I guess, their first um, fintech conference around why is there such a question about why is Rocket Mortgage able to charge 35 bips more than anyone else? It's because they deliver something no one else can. And it's not just a touchy-feely better experience. It's called, I need a decision over a weekend and my bank branch can't deliver that. That's what you see when you go to something like South by Southwest. Is you see how people are reimagining the possibilities of how you deliver services. And with that, we're gonna in the second half have Amber talk to uh, First Federal about what they're rethinking around how they deliver services. And this is the challenge of uh, this episode: is how do you rethink what you deliver?
2: If you work for a bank or a credit union, you already know that this strategic planning and budgeting season is filled with more uncertainty and risk than ever before. And the answers you need aren't in your boardroom or in your spreadsheet models. At Alloy Labs, we've worked with some of the most innovative financial institutions in the world. And our industry-leading tools and frameworks can help you create clarity out of chaos and prioritize what are always limited resources to help you defend and extend your existing business while you're creating viable options for the future. From intensive corporate programs custom-tailored for your situation and your team to bite-sized digital workshops where you can learn from multiple bank perspectives, we can help you forge ideas into results quickly and cheaply. Learn more at alloylabs.com. Times of great change are also times of great opportunity and the time to act is now. AlloyLabs.com.
0: Hello, listeners. I'm Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks. Together, myself and Dr. Richard Petty have recently released our latest best-selling book, The Rise of Technosocialism. We look at how inequality, artificial intelligence, and climate change are going to shape our world moving forward. During the pandemic, the wealth of the world's billionaires ballooned. The richest 1% added $1.6 trillion to their wealth, meaning that they own more wealth than the bottom 90% of Americans today. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic, but artificial intelligence could disrupt up to 80% of the jobs today. These new industries we are creating will face labor shortages because we aren't training our students with the right skills. By 2050, we'll need to produce 70% more food to feed the 9 billion inhabitants of the planet, but we lost 40% of our farmland to erosion and pollution in the last 50 years. By 2050, 570 global cities face inundation from sea rise. Miami, Guangzhou, New York, Calcutta, and Shanghai are just the top five cities. If you want to know more about the solutions to these problems, check out The Rise of Technosocialism, our latest best-selling book. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to riseoftechnosocialism.com to find out more. Welcome to the future.
3: Hey, hey, I'm your host, Amber Bucher, and today we're talking with the leaders of First Fed, a community-based bank based in Port Angeles, Washington, that's just coming up on $2 billion in assets and a centennial birthday. So this bank has undergone some really big changes over the last several years, including a leadership change, a brand refresh, and most importantly, the development of new opportunities, including a joint venture with a technology firm. So today we're gonna dig in to these activities, the DNA that banks need to pull off big transitions, and so much more. So let me welcome our guests. We've got Matt Dinus, the CEO of First Fed and board chair at Quinn Ventures. And he's joined today by Christopher Riffle, the COO and newly, uh, newly appointed chief digital officer at First Fed, and also a board member at Quinn Ventures. Great to have you both. Welcome, guys.
4: Thanks, Amber. Thank you so much, Amber. We're thrilled to be here.
3: Awesome. Well, glad to glad to jump into the conversation. It's interesting. I was connected to you guys by Eric Sprink, the CEO over at Coastal Community Bank, which is another super innovative community bank up in your neck of the woods. So i um, interested to see what's in the water in that area. And um, to get us started, I'd love to hear just a little bit about First Fed, if you could set the stage for where you are located in the country, what you like to focus on, all that good stuff.
4: Well, I'll start out by by mentioning the the water here. You know, we're surrounded by by water and mountains in in the Seattle area, uh, but we're also surrounded by some incredible uh, universities, especially the University of Washington. And and the Seattle area is is has the most well educated populace in the United States, and a lot of that has to do with the university and the ecosystem that it's created. Uh, and so, there's a lot of great technology companies, as I'm sure you're aware. We have two of the Big Five. Uh, giants and in, in Amazon and uh, Microsoft that are that are in our area and so there's just a lot of tech talent and a lot of innovative spirit I think that comes from uh, from drinking the amazing water here but uh, appreciate you bring that up and so glad that Eric introduced us mm-hmm. um, First Fed is a 99 year old uh, bank a former thrift uh, this company uh, went public in 2015. Uh, Chris joined in uh, 2017, and I joined in 2018, and so it's been a really exciting journey to be a part of this pillar of our community up on the North Olympic Peninsula. So we're way up. If you look at the map of the United States and the continental United States, we're way up in the upper left, as we like to say. And and Port Angeles was traditionally a logging town, and as as our name speaks to a port town. Uh, We've been very involved in the community and have the number one market share on the North Olympic Peninsula in both Clallam and Jefferson County here in the region. Um, As most thrifts, we had a very thrift balance sheet back in the the early 2000s and 2010s, a lot of mortgages on the funding side, a lot of certificates of deposit and savings accounts, as you might imagine. Um, We have made a lot of changes to move towards commercial banking in the traditional bank. Over the last several years, that process had started before Chris and I arrived. Um, When I joined in 2018, Chris had started a digital transformation journey within the bank, and I kind of turbo boosted it with some of the ideas that I had. When I was talking to the board and interviewing for the job, I basically looked at this opportunity like I was raising capital, First Fed had about $190 million in capital and only assets of about $1.2 billion. So a tremendous amount of capital to work with, a tremendous footprint and core competency, great governance. Chris also is our general counsel, and our our governance around being a public company and and being a highly regulated institution uh, is second to none in in the activities that we take on, the way we go about our business. Um, But we've also really gotten excited about fintech. And partnerships there. And when Chris and I first met, um, you know, we had talked about trying to build a fintech within the company. We thought that's where the value was. Uh, and so we met with a couple of gentlemen, Brian Adler and Will Rose, who had started a company called Palm or Peace of Mind. Uh, and we were really looking for them to bring some uh, technology opportunities to us, some customer acquisition opportunities. They were looking for a sponsor bank and for capital. And so we had a number of conversations and I'll I'll let Chris kind of fill in the blanks as to uh, how those conversations evolved over the first six or so months. And then the last year or so that we've been operating in our joint venture.
5: Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, I mean, I think I should back up a little bit, and I and 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 although I do work for Matt, I I I think he also, you know, I'm not going to pay him too much lip service because it goes to his head a little bit, but you know, he Matt Matt brought in a very new way of thinking about banking here, and you know, I I came in as he noted in 2017 as uh, formerly outside general counsel, represented the bank for eight years, and I came in as general counsel. And corporate secretary uh, for this relatively new public company uh, and so lots of organization and, and kind of reining in all the legal work that needed to happen but within 10 months our chief operating officer left and our former ceo recognized the need to kind of tear the operations function of the bank down to the studs and uh, asked if i would be interested in, in applying my outside-in perspective my unbanker perspective and how to do that and and so I did. I, I embarked on, on that adventure. And as Matt noted, part of that was recognizing that we seem to be floating in this keeping up with the Joneses sort of culture and mentality as it relates to digital transformation. And so got some help, uh, initiated a, a strategic plan around that. Uh, and then as Matt noted, he came in and, and the way I describe it is he poured some fire on that and accelerated everything. Uh, and, you know, my my perspective was that um, that we were kind of getting in our own way and holding ourselves back. And there's a traditional nature of banking. I think that uh, that, that reigns or rings pretty true in, in many, many spheres of banking that that we interact with. What Matt was able to do is come in and, and although he is a banker, uh, he's very unique in the sense that he's not overly straddled with the mindset around uh, real conservative uh, uh, traditional banking. He, of course, values that tremendously. And it's our uh, bread and butter. And we're never going to let that go. But there's just new ways to think about things. And uh, and then kind of fast forwarding into what Matt was describing with Quinn and what we built there. Uh, it's just it's an, an example of that new way of thinking where we as a small community bank in the Northwest partnered with a fintech and created another one. Uh, we went through a process of uh, application with the Fed. Uh, we had to get permission to do this as a holding company, and we went through that exercise legally and got that permission uh, in April of last year and then signed a joint venture agreement. And from roughly May 1st until December, we were in true startup mode. We, we worked together in tandem uh, between Quinn and First Fed to build uh our our Quinn product which is largely centered around what we call lifestyle protection uh, in incidents of unemployment you can uh get up to a thousand bucks a month to, to kind of float you to your next job to cover those routine monthly expenses again up, uh, up to three months uh and then there's a credit card component that comes with that that we could certainly get into but really what it what it what it is a good example of is a different way of thinking about the role the bank can play in Uh, this tidal wave that's crashing over the the financial institution industry with fintech uh, and and kind of breaking down uh, banking uh, to its finer parts and then improving it in ways that banks have not really been either motivated or able to do in the past. Uh, And so we've definitely, with that relationship, embraced the opportunities of fintech partnership, in this case, literally, because we are an equity partner in uh, in Quinn Ventures, but that has then led us in a further step of evolution into the uh, the fintech partnership model altogether, where we've developed a new division at the bank, uh, and we're we're staffing up and building this uh, regulatory first and measured infrastructure to to be careful uh, to really just not keep our head in the sand as to what's going on around us and really embrace the change that's going on. And wanting to be a part of that and in helping our current customers in our geographic footprint, but also customers nationwide achieve financial goals and and get better at at their finances.
3: Okay, so there was a lot in there that we should unpack. You guys have been moving fast and furious. And as you just described, if the way that you operate the bank, and at and, and all like the way that you just described the last few years in this whirlwind of, uh, let's go, let's get it done, let's get through it. I, I can't imagine um, what a wild ride some of the other folks at the bank must feel like they've been on. Um, an exciting ride, no doubt. But I'm so curious, you know, we've got an older bank, a big change in leadership, The board is bringing in Chris and then Matt. um, Really realizing that the you know stagnation is not an option anymore. It's time to do some big things. But I'm curious, what has to be true at a bank, both from the board level and from the employee level? Because you guys are coming in in a really you know in that that executive role where you have both a board to answer to, but also employees to to bring along with you on this journey. What has to be true at an institution in terms of what's in their DNA? to make the huge leaps that you guys have made in a relatively short time possible?
4: I, I think a lot of it comes down to the culture. And, you know, Chris and I talk about this all the time. We can't see all things and change all things in the bank. You know, we can do what we can do. And, and, you know, we've obviously been trying to make a lot of fundamental changes, but you know, the reality is it it's, it comes down to hiring great people, right. And, and also to, Build up and educate and inform and empower the great people that you have, and and so you know what has been great here is that uh, much of the executive team um, that was here when I started is still here. So our chief of HR and marketing, our chief banking officer, our chief credit officer, and 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 they're all coming from the banking industry like I am and and have that background and that fundamental shift. And what we've really tried to do is to continue them uh, to continue to continue to encourage them. To come along for this ride with us, and that this is something that we're trying to do together. and And realistically, you know we have this incredible opportunity to take the core bank that does things well. And when it really comes down to it, what do banks do? we We, we process payments, right? we We take deposits and we make loans. And maybe we provide good financial advice or some other ancillary services, We do notary or something like that. But for the most part, we're helping to facilitate the movement of money and the timing of money. And so it really comes down to showing and demonstrating for our team that that doesn't mean that we don't contribute or volunteer in the communities. That doesn't mean that we don't try to do things to uh, provide stronger financial inclusion. That doesn't mean that we turn our back on what got us here. But it's really the idea that of the power of and that we do this in addition to what we've already been doing and that we're doing a lot of the same things that we've always done. We might just be making it more convenient by putting the customer out front and really saying, well, how? What, what do the customers want? We assume something based on our own behaviors, based on our own expectations, that focus group of one, but really we look around and you look at the FinTechs and you look at what's going on with other financial institutions and you say, maybe the consumers want something different. How do we provide them those things, so that they want to continue to bank with us or to bring their business over to us.
5: Yeah, I mean, I would add very little to that. I totally agree with what Matt said. And you know, look, change is hard at any place. You know, especially one that's 99 years old that has uh, slowly grown over time, and you know, went public. And uh, I think what uh, what I've really enjoyed about Matt's leadership here, and and certainly resonates with me, and it's it's a cornerstone of my own philosophy. Is the notion of transparency with our our staff? It's it's so important that when change is happening or around us, that there's not uh, open questions, wondering what is going on, what does this mean for me, my job, and my future, and this bank, in our case, that's so important to their uh, existence. I mean, a lot of people have worked here for a very long time, and you know, there's a natural discomfort that comes along with this need to embrace the now uh, and the future, of course, and. Uh, I think what between Matt and I, and and just about every opportunity we have to communicate, we try to be almost overly communicative and and transparent uh, about what we're doing, the reasons we're doing it. Uh, And then I think in in Matt's tenure here, he's done a good job in in developing uh, a significant amount of credibility, both with the board and with the employees at First Fed and the community as a whole, that we're not trying to do anything other than stay independent and relevant and and meaningful for our shareholders our customers and our employees and and this is the way that we've chosen to do that
3: that's really interesting and chris i want to Stay on you for just a second because you've just transitioned from the role that you initially came in. I think you said was general counsel, corporate secretary. Um, since then, you moved into the COO role and most recently the chief digital officer role. So, just curious about your journey along that leadership path. If you've been engaging with employees more, how you how you personally kind of uh, you know take responsibility for maintaining that transparency, and would love to hear how much different this is than the role that you started with you join
5: the bank. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, obviously significantly different and, you know, it's funny, Amber, I, in you know, went through, even in high school, I knew I wanted to be an attorney and then through college, it just sort of confirmed that went to law school and it just, I wish I could just live as a law student for the rest of my life. It's just so oh, satisfying we had the opposite experience
3: then, my friend, I'm what, I, I'm what I call a recovering attorney.
5: Oh boy. <laughs> Well, I, I, I love being an attorney, and and I've told Matt several times that it is part of my DNA. It, it's very, very central to who I am, and, uh, and so the idea of coming in as general counsel was a big leap for me because I always thought I would be in private practice, uh, and then as general counsel, I always thought, well, I'll just do this, uh, and then this opportunity to shift to the operations side of the bank was uh, way out of left field, and I will admit I didn't take it readily. It took me a while to come around to the idea because it wasn't what I thought I wanted to do. But I saw the opportunities and really the opportunity to tap into parts of me, you know, the, the tools in the toolbox, so to speak, that weren't really getting used uh, as it relates to my relationships with people, my interaction with people. I, I think I, I have some pretty strong communication skills, both written and verbal. And uh, and I just love problem solving with people and being collaborative and and. Uh, innovative and and then inspiring those things in other people. And as a general counsel, I had one employee, and I wasn't I was sort of insular on an island. I was, you know, not not the person that people wanted to see walk into the room most of the time is the you know attorney for the bank. But, uh, you know, so the transition that happened it was a little bit with trepidation. But since then, this was in the middle of 2018, uh, and until now, it has just been a monumentally fun ride. Uh, where I've gotten gotten to really tap into those tools that I, I referenced earlier, uh, sharpen those a little bit and get into the operation side first and really get to put my stamp on both the people, the organization, the structure, uh, and also the um the continuity between my departments and those uh, other departments in the bank that tend to get you know there's a silo effect that happens in i think most corporations and part of part of what's motivated me is to break those barriers down and and create very collaborative proactive working relationships with my peers and between our departments um, and then, you know, the the we talked about it earlier, but the identification of the need for a digital strategic plan is what really launched me into this other area of the bank or, or banking uh, that was so relevant, obviously relevant. And it was so obvious to me that we were just adrift without a real central plan. And so getting to take the lead on that has really bolstered. Uh, you know my role, the 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 that I play here, the 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 understanding of that industry, where it's at, where it's going, and then Matt coming in behind that, uh, and his you know our our relationship that has developed, and and which I would liken almost to like a partnership with all of this digital stuff he's just encouraged me to, to just go get it. And, and with that encouragement, with the, the ready acknowledgement that none of this stuff is cheap, you know, so it's putting our money where our mouth is and, and really getting into uh, the, the merits of what we're doing and not just paying lip service to the ideas has empowered me to just progress into that evolution from that initial digital strategic plan to last year where we got into Quinn, we got into a new division at the bank that we set up called F3P, We've got Quinn, and we just announced Splash uh, Financial as a partner uh, that we can certainly talk about. But it's it's then the role that I've been empowered to play there. It just continues to push me into that space deeper and deeper, uh, where I you know I think the the role of chief digital officer is something Matt and I've been talking about for a while, uh, and it it resonates with what I'm doing now, where I'm balancing the roles of chief operating officer. Uh, for the bank and then the CDO still has a lot to do with the bank and the digital transformation for the brick and mortar side of our business. But it's also highly relevant to the FinTech partnership side and, and my ability to go meet people, interact with people and for them as superficial as it may seem to see you know, this title and then develop some, some you know maybe more expedited rapport and credibility uh, so that they can see we're serious about what we're doing. Uh, and I think, you know, then then, you know, I guess the general counsel part, which is going back to that DNA, you know, part of me, uh, I I would I've hired another attorney to come in and do that for our bank on a day to day basis and oversee the department. But it's really I have a lot less to do with that than I used to. And uh, and I, I think now I would liken myself to a legal advisor for Matt as our CEO and, and certainly our board.
3: That's great. And I appreciate the additional clarity on what that chief digital officer role means. I think a lot of banks are looking at adding a role like that, but they're not sure exactly what it means in the context of the institution. So that's really helpful. Um, Chris, you mentioned breaking barriers in there. And so I want to turn it back over to Matt. Um, breaking barriers seems like something that you guys have been doing a lot the last few years. Um, and, it, and and I think it's really interesting to hone in on the actual form of your partnership um, with Formerly Peace of Mind, now Quinn Ventures. Um, you guys did that as a joint venture, so I'm just really curious um, how common that is or is not in the banking space, and um, and also, you know, what that what that form of venture might say about how the desire to move forward in these tech forward initiatives has impacted the bank's approach to decision making, strategic planning, and and even resource allocation.
4: You know, I would say that the Form of ownership is not very common for a two billion dollar or smaller bank. I think at larger institutions, uh, these types of partnerships have gone on for a long time. You typically have holding companies with significant number of subsidiaries in larger institutions, and ma- that might be in wealth management, or that might be in insurance, or that might be in some other area. Uh, but but it but it's something that I think is fairly unique, um, and I don't know that there's a not a, a lot of other examples of that within. Um, Community banks and fintech partnerships. What we wanted at the time, we wanted to own the fintech, not because we wanted the control or the power or to brag about or anything. We saw the value, the value of the fintechs, they're getting valued on some insane multiple of revenue. We're getting valued on a similar. Uh, multiple of our net income, and I'm thinking, well, I'd rather be valued at that at that revenue level than the net level. And so, we wanted to own the thing that was valuable, even though we maybe we're going to be valued more traditionally as a bank. You know, a lot of banks don't even get valued on earnings; they get valued on book value. So, we we saw that as um, a great opportunity to go out and do something that would add more long-term shareholder value and franchise value for the company, but it wouldn't come without. Additional revenue, right? It's not the idea is great, and maybe some people want to glom on the idea. You have to execute, and, and that's really the stage that we're in right now. The interesting thing is, in the last year or so, since we signed the joint venture agreement, community banks who are involved in the fintech space have started to get recognized for their efforts as sponsor banks and for the income that they can generate from those partnerships. And so, to a certain degree, the market has started to recognize the value of those banks more uh, than they did when we first went after this. And so, not that it wouldn't be necessary to do that again, but our approach, if we were going about doing this again, might be different based on the way that banks are being perceived and valued. You know, we're not in the position necessarily of taking outsized risk, and and I think you know making an investment of this size does present some risk. I think we've managed it very well, and we're very excited about what opportunities and what future gains that uh, we will manifest from this partnership. Um, But it certainly is something that I think was and and maybe will remain somewhat unique. Um, We are so thrilled in the the progress that we've made with Quinn over the first year. Sometimes I think we wish we went faster, right? You mentioned like, oh, my gosh, you're going so fast. Sometimes I want to push fast forward and be like, what does this look like in 2024? But we also kind of on the idea that, you know, it's about the journey, not the destination. And we're really working through this. We have learned the most invaluable uh, set of information. And we've learned a lot about each other as partners. Uh, one thing I want to mention about about Chris and taking on this new role, you know, it's almost like a bad joke if you said an accountant and an attorney walk into a bar. <laughs> and and, that, and that's really, that's really what happened. That actually literally happens with Chris and I. But that's also, you know, what happened with us getting together in this We have a lot of complementary skills. We have a lot of similar shared values and and ways of looking at the world. Uh, But there's things that I just don't have to worry about because I have Chris. And I think there's a number of things that he doesn't have to worry about, probably a number of things that I require him to worry about. But there's also a lot of things that he knows I have handled. And, And so I think that partnership, as he referred to it, and I've used that term many times, really makes us that much better because you know, no one person can do this. I can have a whole bunch of ideas. Um, I'm only one person. It's building a team along with the rest of our executive team, along with our partners at Quinn, along with the other partners that we're talking to. It's so cool. Some of the people that we've hired in the last six months, I, I mean, we hired a woman in New York that is a, a AI machine learning uh, expert, and who's now helping to lead Chris's F three partnerships. I mean, for a little bank in Port Angeles to hire a woman who was born in India and works in New York City, like people would have just laughed and fallen off their chair if we had told them that two years ago. Uh, but we've done that, and we've hired others um, in in a similar vein, and and so the access and the conversations that we have the number of smart people that we get to talk to, that's really the key. It's It it does really come down to the people that are working for you and working alongside of you.
3: And do you think that a part of being able to bring on folks like that is because of the kind of pushing the envelope that you guys are doing now?
4: Absolutely, and the partnerships. I mean, the networking we've done. So this woman's name is Simran. Quinn introduced us to Simran. Quinn introduced us to Splash. So just having that partnership and that um, joint venture with them. Not only is this an amazing opportunity with Quinn itself, but it's leading to new connections and new relationships. You know we get borrowed credibility by having a partnership of this nature, and the people that they know are now a part of our network, right? And our network is now uh, utilized by them. So I think you get those synergies that you that word gets overused, but that that the the power of the networks um, is is really what makes all of these great things happen.
3: That's really valuable but intangible and something that um, I'm glad that you brought up because I think that it's um, something that needs to factor into the equation when you're thinking about how you want to work with fintech and how you want to play in that space. Um, I know we're coming up on time, but I did want to ask you guys just quickly, what are some of the tech trends that you're watching closely, one over the short term in the next couple of years and then one over the longer term?
5: Uh, well, I think the the other like mini tidal wave crashing over financial institutions or the banking industry is is either you can call it crypto or or you can you can just call it blockchain. But generally speaking, this really inherently confusing you know uh, way of thinking about data storage, safety, uh, infallibility. I mean, all of the things or buzzwords that come along with this blockchain technology. Uh, It just seems to be, I mean, it's been around for a while, of course, you know, and it's been talked about as the next thing for quite a while, but there seems to be a new energy around it that is uh, unstoppable and certainly unavoidable if uh, you're willing to look around and and listen to what's going on around you. And you know, you throw in, the, you know, this really weird concept of NFTs and things like that into the mix. And you're just like, what is going on with the world? But the reality is, is it resonates with people. And I mean, you look at some statistics on just on Bitcoin or, or crypto investment, and there's just a huge percentage of America that is invested that way, at least in part, uh, but also uh, a a growing acceptance of the the nature of that technology, albeit inherently under, misunderstood uh, or or just confusing. But the realities of it are that there are some significant benefits that if we could embrace and figure out how they fit uh, alongside what we're trying to build here at First Fed uh, for our customers locally and nationwide, uh, there's definitely a place for some inclusion of the, the blockchain slash crypto realities that are present and certainly not going to go anywhere anytime soon.
4: Yeah, I would agree with that, especially as it pertains to payments. I I think the idea of real-time payments um, is here in a large degree. I saw that Notch just increased their daily uh, same-day payment limit to a million dollars. You know, I think that um, we're going to start to see uh, even further expansion in that regard. What I'm really looking at right now, which is is kind of just starting to get some some legs, and we'll see where it goes. And I think it's an outcome of the two-day early direct deposit, but that is either daily or weekly payroll, whether or not that's being provided by the employer or whether or not that's being provided by the financial institution. People may not care that it's their actual paycheck, but they want to have access to those funds early. And Using the data that you can get out of PLAT or other sources to be able to understand the inflows and outflows of someone's account, there should be ways for banks to provide access Earlier to those funds, maybe more than two days early, and and I think that's something uh, that could come down the pike. And I believe, you know, two day early direct deposit is not quite ubiquitous, but a, a significant number of players have followed Chime into that into that um, offer. And I, I think you might see that with with more constant availability of your payroll. Um, which is great if you have a if you're a W two employee. It's a little bit harder if you're a, if you're a gig worker or you're self employed. And so there's also a lot of opportunity in in that space as well. Uh, but I think providing that liquidity, right, that access to funds when when you've earned it and when you need it, is is really a huge opportunity this time.
3: Great, thank you both. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a whirlwind. Where should where should folks find you?
4: So um you can find me on Twitter at, at Dying Time and, and I'm also out on LinkedIn. You're you're welcome to uh, to to jump in and uh, and and kind of see what we're up to. We like to post on there quite a bit. Um and and so that that's that's the best place to track me down.
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 less social media savvy than Matt. Certainly available on LinkedIn. I poke around on Twitter a little bit, but Uh, If you want to learn a little bit more about what we're up to, we're so happy to talk about it and kind of share what we've learned, both from other partners that have been willing to share with us and pay it forward that way. Uh, Best way to reach me by far is by email uh, at, I mean, you can just look us up on ourfirstfed.com and and Matt and I are both available for for email communication or certainly a phone call would be, uh, I know a little bit antiquated, but it would be a great way to connect. So that would be awesome as well.
4: This sponsor bank community, which I don't even know if that's the right thing to call us, is phenomenal. There's so many great bankers doing so many great things, and everyone I've talked to in this community is willing to share. And it's really neat uh, to have that collaboration. Of course, we're competing, uh, but there's also a great sense of collaboration, which I think helps the entire process and the entire ecosystem. And I'm just really encouraged and appreciative for that.
3: I think that's a great note to end on. I've seen the same thing both among our banks at the Alloy Labs Alliance and outside of that group. Um, It's really an area of the industry that's growing so quickly that having having folks to talk to and bounce things off of and um, get a gut check on is so so vital when you're building a new business line like this. So thank you guys for being so generous in that and for being so generous with your time here today. We can't wait to see what comes out of First Fed next.
4: Thank you, you, Amber.
0: Appreciate your time. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend or
2: share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.